Has it been that long that I've been here that you have to wear name tags now? What's, what's going on? It is good to see you. Cindy and I got the opportunity to uh, go away for our 25th anniversary, which was two years ago. And <laughs> we had a great time. And I, I wanted to take a moment and thank uh, Pastor Joel and Pastor Sam for uh, preaching while I was gone and, and proclaiming the word. So it's, it's always good to know that you leave it in good hands while you're gone. And it was very encouraging. And then I wanted to take a moment and thank you for hosting the missions conference last week. Wow. Well done, friends. It, yeah, we can give the Lord a praise offering on that. That was so good. People from all over the world were here, and it, it, was, it was a lot of fun. This was my first experience. The first one that I had was it was kind of a COVID missions conference and didn't, I mean, it counted, but it didn't really count. And so uh, it was great to experience that last week. So again, thank you, friends. Uh, what a joy. What an encouragement. I hope your heart is encouraged as well. Well, I grew up in southern Indiana. In southern Indiana, we love basketball. Basketball is a big deal there. And during this time of year, we refer to it as the High Holy Days, sometimes called March Madness. And uh, the NCAA National Championship is a lot of fun. I don't, anybody fill out a bracket? A couple of you filled out a bracket. Awesome, awesome job. I always fill out three. There's the one that, you know, there's like these are the safe, uh, the safe teams to go with. These are the teams that Okay, that probably this could happen. And then the third bracket is, here's who I really want to win. Anybody do something like that? Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, love that. One of the things I noticed this year is that there were a lot more personal stories. Maybe you were watching and you saw some of the student athletes who were telling their stories and uh, accomplishing amazing things. And as I was hearing their stories and some of the things they overcame, I found myself rooting for them, even though they weren't on my bracket. And uh, I found myself just kind of cheering for them. And when they lost, I was sad. And, and then I, I caught myself in overtimes starting to get kind of anxious, a little nervous. And I thought, how silly is this? I'm getting anxious and nervous over a basketball game that I have, have, you know, I didn't work hard. I'm not coaching. I don't go to those schools. Like, and I'm getting anxious about it. And then I started thinking about all of the things that we do get anxious about. I'm wondering if you've been experiencing some of that anxiety in your own life. And maybe it's that work is stressing you out. Maybe it's that bills are stressing you out. Maybe it's that health is stressing you out. Maybe it's that friends are stressing you out or family that's stressing you out. Maybe it's the past that's been stressing you out, or maybe it's the future that's been stressing you out. Maybe it's wars and rumors of wars that's stressing you out. Maybe it's going to the pump and paying incredible prices for gasoline that's stressing you out. There are a lot of reasons that we can be stressed out in these days, that we can become anxious. And in talking about that today, I do want to identify one thing before we go any further, that I recognize that there may be uh, reason for seeing a doctor about this. There may be medicine that needs to be taken. I, I get that. I also recognize that some of this can also be addressed by changing our attention, or rather focusing our attention on who really matters. Whether that is with work or bills, whether it's in relationships or health, whether it's in calendar or world events, that focusing on Christ has an ability 
to put things in perspective. And I want to lean into that today. As we began to talk about this series, we recognized that the anxiety level really worldwide is starting to, to heighten. It's getting big. Uh, it's, it's being recognized with the doctors. Uh, there are a lot of medical journals that are talking about this right now. We're starting to see it more and more in terms of posts on social media. And so as we sat down together and talked about the direction of this specific series, we said it's so important that, that we find rest for our souls. And that, that despite the anxiety that's going on in the world, can we find rest for our souls? And what does the scripture tell us about that? And so uh, we began to talk that through and pray about it. And as we did, we went immediately to Matthew chapter 11. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn there. We'll be in Matthew chapter 11 for a little bit, and then we're going to jump ahead to Hebrews chapter 13. But in Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 28, we, we see something from Jesus that we wanted to identify. And that's that Jesus addresses this very matter of rest for our souls. And this is from somebody who could be in a boat during a storm that looked like it was going to sink and he was sleeping. He was at rest. He knew that things were okay because he, he knew how to deal with this anxiety, with this stress. This is also the person who went to the cross who sweat blood. He knows something about what he's speaking about. In fact, he created us in such a way that we can have life and have it more abundantly when we focus on him and see him. And so he starts this with his disciples by saying this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And at first blush, we, we get the idea, the general concept, but let me talk about some specific things because I think as we get into the specifics here, we're going to see how it cross-pollinates from time and culture and hits us where we're at today. So in Jesus' day, what's often referred to as Second Temple Judaism, in Jesus' day, to have a yoke was to talk about the teaching of a specific rabbi. So you might have the yoke of the Torah, which meant you were going to follow. You were going to hold on to that yoke. You were going to carry that around. You were going to plow the land with the yoke of the Torah by being obedient, by following it. So different rabbis had different ideas of what that meant. So let me help you with this. There are 613 teachings that were associated with the Torah in Jesus' day. 613. Now, you might say, well, that seems like a lot. That's a heavy yoke to bear. Well, it's actually worse than that. Because they would ask this question uh, after they make the statement, honor your father and mother. How? And one rabbi would have an idea, and another rabbi would have a different idea, and those would have different loads of burden on them. Here's one, uh, uh, honor the Sabbath or guard the Sabbath. And I've shared, I think I've shared this once or twice before, that one rabbi would say, yes, you want to honor the Sabbath by not working on the Sabbath. You want to make sure that it's holy, that it's separated for God. You can't work on it. Therefore, if there is spittle on the ground 
and your sandal drags through it, then you are guilty of plowing on the Sabbath and thereby you break the Torah. Well, imagine the burden in a group of people who are saying, I want to honor God. I, I, I want to I bless God. I don't want to break his commandments. And so now they're walking around like this, you know, making sure that they're not plowing on the Sabbath. The burden, uh, of course, that's a silly illustration, but the burden is real. And Jesus is saying, despite the burden that many people have put on you, my burden is light. My, my burden is easy with respect to what it takes to, be, uh, uh, to have a right relationship with God, to have rest for your soul. Now, most of us, when we read this, we, we go, oh, yeah, I think I'd like a, a light burden. That'd be great. Maybe if, if my yoke were easy, that, that'd, be, that'd be fantastic. Hmm. But it starts with this statement, come to me. In other words, we, we can't get that yoke. We can't get that rest for our souls without going to Christ for it. And I recognize that even in a room this, this size with this group of people, that probably as many people that are in this room, there are people who have a perception of what it means to honor God. And perhaps that burden is heavy. And sometimes that pressure is overwhelming. If I really want to honor God, then I'm going to, I'm going to do these things. If I'm really going to be a blessing to God, then, then I have these things that I have to do. And instead of that being an overflow of love and excitement and enthusiasm and, and a new life, it's a burden. It's a pain. I wonder what Jesus has for us. Well, as Matt and I sat down and started to look at that, and we said, okay, Jesus is calling us to come to him, and Jesus is telling us that his burden is light, that his yoke is light, and his yoke is easy. So what do we do with that? Well, what we want to do is pick this up and look at it from a couple of different directions, a few different directions, and I want to share those. I'm going to give you some biblical phrases so there'll be some terminology that I'll use that you may not be as familiar with. You may be, but you may not be. It's not common language. So uh, we, we said the first way, or one of the ways that we want to look at this is through the term justification. Justification means that we're made right. We're made right. And so for our burden to be easy, there is this justification that occurs that, that we've been, been made right. There's another one that we wanted to look at this passage through and specifically the way that we receive this light and easy burden from Jesus is through the, the concept of atonement. Atonement. And atonement means that we're made unified. We're unified with God and we're unified with one another. We are atoned. We are at one. And we'll talk about that in the weeks to come as well. Another phrase that's used is glorification. And glorification speaks of where we're going, the direction uh, eternally where we're going, that we have purpose, we have a direction. And then we talked about adoption, and adoption is where we're going on Easter specifically. I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. That means that we have a family in Christ and that we belong. And today we're going to talk about sanctification, 
we'll be talking about sanctification, and that means to be set apart or to be made holy. And so these are the ways that we're going to look at it. And with that in mind, as Matt and I began to talk it through and say, well, what does rest for your soul mean? Like, what does that look like? Well, there are many ways that we could give examples of what that looks like, but one of the best ways is this, is baptism, right? Take a look at that, that for a moment and that rest for your soul, that here we are uh, in Christ being baptized, immersed in the waters of forgiveness and raised up in newness of life in Christ. What a beautiful picture that is for rest for your soul, especially considering that the idea of rest for your soul is not everything is easy peasy, lemon squeezy, but rather that as we walk through difficult times, we can still have rest. We can still walk in peace and rest during difficult times, just as Jesus exemplified for us. And baptism is a beautiful picture of that. On Easter, we will be having a baptism. And I want to encourage you, if you've been thinking about it, if you've been on the fence, if you've been going, you know what, my next step of faith is baptism, I want to encourage you to sign up for that. You can go online, you can sign up for it, you can email me specifically. I'm happy to uh, direct you and help you get connected. But baptism might be the next step for you, and Easter would be a phenomenal time where we're celebrating the risen one, the one who came in the flesh, the one who died on the cross for our sins, the one who conquered sin and death, rose from the grave, and gives life to anybody who would call on him. As we're celebrating him, we're also participating in this amazing uh, ordinance called baptism, and we want to encourage you again to take that step of faith if you haven't. So, with that in mind, I'd like to pause and I want to pray. I want to pray for you as we start to talk about sanctification and what it means. I want to pray for us that, that maybe God has something in mind for us corporately that we want to engage in and, and follow Jesus to. And as we consider the takeaways later on in the message, that there might be some pieces, one or two or perhaps all of them, that really connect with us that are next steps for us as we follow Jesus. Would you join me as we pray? Jesus, we love you, and we do celebrate you. We thank you, Lord, that it, it's true. It's true that we carry anxiety with us, that we carry heavy burdens. And some of those, uh, Lord, are self-induced. And so, Lord, we, we ask that you would minister to us in this place, that we would take on your yoke, because it's light and easy. That, that doesn't mean, Lord, that it, it won't be difficult to walk. It doesn't mean that the ground's going to be level. It doesn't mean that there's not going to be tilling that needs to happen. But, Lord, we recognize that that yoke is one we can carry if we carry it in you. So we're coming to you today asking for that. That you would help us as we walk in holiness towards you. That you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand. And that you, O oh Lord, would be glorified and honored. It's in Jesus Christ's precious and holy, holy, holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. One way of looking at it is you can get rest because you're growing. In fact, like there is a purpose, there is a direction, there is something that God has for us that we don't just stay idle and our souls can rest even as we move and as we grow spiritually. This is a term called sanctification. Uh, sanctification is one of those 
biblical words that we don't use a lot. If we were going to narrow it down, it's rooted in the word holy. So we're talking about holiness. The idea or concept behind it is that we're set apart specifically for the work of God. So uh, God has you here for a reason and a purpose. And in that reason and purpose, uh, he wants to give you life. And maybe that is better defined this way. Sanctification is the ongoing supernatural work of God. Pause. Did you catch that? We are engaged in an unworking supernatural work of God. In other words, the fact that we're choosing God day by day, that we're following him, that his spirit indwells us and is pushing us forward is a supernatural work of God himself. Let us not forget that. Supernatural work of God to rescue justified sinners from the disease of sin. The idea, disease of sin, it's a disease that has infected and affected every human being in the history of the world. And to conform them to the image of his son, holy, Christ-like, and empowered to do good works. So by the work of the Holy Spirit, we're empowered to do good works. It goes on from there to say it this way. In sanctification, Christ's righteousness is imparted by the power of the Spirit. The converted sinner becomes more like Christ. The sinner is transformed in every area of his or her life, inward and outward, heart and action, relationships and purpose. That which is going on in the inside is transformative, to the point that the actions on the outside reflect the very image of Christ. And it's God's work in our lives. But as I say that, it's important for us to pause and consider sanctification a little bit more deeply. Because even as we read this, we're going to have in the flesh a want to do something. And that's to modify our behavior. What we're really talking about, though, is spiritual transformation. And there's a difference. It's not even that subtle. But behavior modification is a default that each of us will walk in if we get to lean into our own spirit. And this is what it has. So behavior modification is to live in insecurity of trying to please God or earn favor. In other words, if I can just do these things, then maybe God will like me. Maybe I can please God if I just this. And that's a dangerous place. I remember when uh, early on, after I had gotten saved, I was talking to my dad about salvation, and he had this phrase. And he would say, I just need to get myself right first. And for years, I just thought, oh, okay, okay, well, he's working on it. And eventually, it dawned on me, like, Dad, you can't. That, that's the point. You can't. I can't. We can't. None of us can do that. That's behavior modification, and that's not transformative. It's not what's going on in the inside. It's based on things like, I, I do want this or I don't want this, so I will make my actions uh, in favor of this response. That, that's a problem. That's a problem. In other words, I'm saying, I want this consequence or I don't want this consequence, therefore I will be nice or I will ignore or I will whatever to get this response, this, this consequence. That's behavior modification. I will do or I won't do. But spiritual transformation looks different. Spiritual transformation is responding in newness of life because of God's favor. It puts our eyes directly to Calvary at the cross of Jesus, 
where God came in the flesh and died on the cross for my sins. He took up my sins on that cross. He took up your sins on that cross. Spiritual transformation puts our focus on that cross. That should have been my outcome. That should have been your outcome. That should have been our outcome is death. But Jesus took that up on the cross. The response of the believer who has the Spirit of God is a transformation. I want to honor God. I want, I want to follow him, not because I want to earn something, but in response to him, because he loved me so much, because God so loved the world that he gave his life for me. And because of that, I want to follow him. That's different than behavior modification, and that's what we're talking about. But still yet, as we talk about sanctification, there, there are aspects that are confusing. And so I want to categorize those aspects to help us clarify as we walk forward in the passage we're going to talk about momentarily. And that's this. It's the difference in positional sanctification and progressive sanctification. So positional sanctification is this. Once I've received Jesus as my Savior, I know this. I am a citizen of heaven. Uh, I, I know this, that when God looks at, when the Father looks at me, he sees his Son. Positionally, that's true. I have all of the riches in Christ Jesus uh, positionally. I am seated with Christ in the heavenly realms positionally. That happened because of salvation. I'm positionally sanctified. But in my everyday life, I'm not there. What I mean by that is this, and you can think back early on when you first received Jesus as your Savior. Maybe it was like this. Okay, I asked Jesus in my life, and now I'm convicted that my language needs to change. I'm saying things that's not reflective of the Scriptures. My language is pretty crass. Okay, I'm going to deal with that. I'm convicted on that. And I, okay, Lord, I give that to you. That is crucified. I'm putting that on the cross. Great. And now the next step, you might go, hmm, you know what? I'm catching myself eh, not telling the whole truth. Yeah, that's called a lie, by the way, or deception. That's a sin. And as you're convicted on that, you go, you know what, God? I, I need help with this. I need to work. Lord, I'm, gonna, I'm putting that on the cross. I'm leaving it there. And you find yourself walking in victory. You're progressing. Do you see it? And then you, you go, well, wait a minute. There's a little more. Uh, it's not just it's not just my language. It's not just little white lies. It's also that, that I don't really like people around me. They agitate me. And, and Jesus says I'm supposed to love them. So I'm going to have to love them. God, you need to help me. And you start to get victories. And you're progressive. That's called progressive sanctification. We're more and more living out a life of holiness that is being transformed into the image of Christ. Make sense? Makes sense. All right. Good. Well, let's keep moving forward, and as we go into Hebrews chapter 13, we're actually going to read in just a moment verses 9 uh, on, or I'm sorry, verses 7 on, but before we do, I really wanted to focus on this verse. This verse is, is really key to the whole passage. Otherwise, we're just going to go, we're going to, by default, go back into behavior modification, and we don't want that. This is what it says. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. The idea, the purpose, the point is that Jesus is our sanctification. Jesus is our sanctification. Just like my dad said earlier that I, that I shared with you. I just got to get myself right. Yeah, but you can't. 
You know why? Because we, we can't sanctify ourselves. That's the work of God. That's what God does in, in our lives through his work at the cross. That's, that's uh, given to us by Jesus himself. So with that in mind, let's go ahead and start in verse 7, and let's read through this together. We'll, we'll be talking about the Day of Atonement in a couple of weeks and, and why that matters as it relates to uh, giving ourselves or receiving peace, rather, from Christ. But that is being discussed in this specific passage. So recognize that the book of Hebrews, those are to the Messianic Jews. Those are a group of people who were Jewish in their background and behavior. They received Jesus as their Savior, and they were saying, now what? And now that Jesus fulfills, do I just not do any of it? Do I still do all of it? And Jesus, like, what, what do I do here? And so Hebrews is a response to Messianic believers. But it still affects us, and by principle, it touches us where we're at. So let's talk this through. Verse 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Let me just pause there for uh, a moment. So uh, the early church was really good about this, identifying the, the believers that had gone before them, some of them spoken in the scriptures, some of them in early church history, and they would say, look at their example of how faithful they were when it would have been very easy for them to walk away from the Lord. Look at those examples and follow those examples imitate those examples, live out those examples. Those are the leaders and the type of people that we're following. They have been tried and tested and they ran the race and they are in glory now. And let's not forget them. The early church was really good about that. Sometimes we, we neglect that to, a, to our own uh, fault. But verse eight, we'll keep going. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. It's a very important piece to this, that there's no changing in Jesus. Even when our culture is fluid and there's some changing that occurs in cultures throughout time, different types of uh, values that kind of uh, rise and fall in cultures, Jesus never changes. Now, for some of you, you maybe have had people in your life who were alcoholics, for example, and when you would come home, you didn't know which parent you were going to get. Were you going to get the happy parent? Were you going to get the angry parent? Were you going to get the sober parent? Were you going to get the drunk parent? And you walked on eggshells in those places. Well, not so with God. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There is a consistency that we see in his behavior and in his actions and in his very character that affect us. And we can look throughout time, not just historically, but time even in our own lives and see his faithfulness, that he's the same. Let's keep going. Do not be led, led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. So early on in the church, there were these things that started to rise up, different uh, types of uh, theological pers perspectives that were influencing the church and actually taking their attention away from Jesus. One of those in the Hebrew church was this, that they were, they were going, well, you know what? 
maybe you just need to really become, for you to become a Christian, you really need to become Hebrew, right? You need to become Jewish. So uh, you're going to have to go through circumcision. You're going to have to go through our mitzvahs. You're going to have to go through all of our rites and accept Jesus. And these sorts of things were starting to emerge in the church. And there were questions about, well, is that true? I mean, I guess I kind of see that, but maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't. I'm just not sure what to do. And there were a lot of questions that started to emerge. Also, influenced by the world around them, there were some Greek thinkers that said, you know what, the, the spirit is good, but the body is, it, it decays, it's bad. Just by a very essence of it being a body that decays means that it's bad, but our spirits are eternal. So yeah, God came, in the, God came but not in the flesh. No, he didn't come in the flesh. Uh, it just appeared that he was in the flesh. And for many within the church, they started going, well, I guess that kind of makes sense. I mean, I grew up believing that the spirit was good and the flesh was bad, and I recognize that in my own life, that my flesh really speaks out, and I, I sin sometimes because of my flesh, so what do I do? And the author of Hebrews reminds us, don't be led away by those diverse things. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And there are these principles that cross-pollinate time and culture and speak to us where we are today. And let us not forget Jesus in the midst of all of this because we're, getting, uh, we're, we're going off to the side in these doctrines. Maybe you recognize some of those even in our day where someone may say something like this. If you exercise a specific spiritual gift, it is evidence of your salvation. So the emphasis then becomes on the spiritual gift. That's being led astray. Our emphasis is on Jesus, period. That's it. Our emphasis is on Jesus. Do we get spiritual gifts? Absolutely. Are they signs of salvation? That's not what the scriptures teach. Let's keep going. Well, what about... You know, we see that there's healing in Scripture, and we see that there are people who, who seem to be blessed by God in Scripture. And so maybe if I just tell God what I want, and then he'll have to respond to me. If, if I could just name it and claim it, blab it and grab it, God will do what I want him to do. And that, that, that's a doctrine that leads people astray. That's not a biblical doctrine. Uh, that's not immersed in the Christ of the Scriptures the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we have to be careful about these doctrines even today. Let's keep going. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. Again, they're, they're dipping into the Day of Atonement. We'll talk more about that uh, in a couple of weeks. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. So again, to the Hebrew people, he's reminding them of a practice that happened in the tabernacle and in the temple, and in that place, how Jesus specifically uh, fulfills that prophecy or that, that action. So that was a type of Christ. So that when the Messiah came, they would be able to recognize, and the author of Hebrews uh, shows the Messianic believers that truth. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Talking about the new Jerusalem. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have 
for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. So uh, let's look at some takeaways from this. Uh, What does cross-pollinate? What does minister to us in 2022? Uh, what can we pull out and, and, and learn? What helps us with our sanctification personally to be separated and set apart for the work of God? Well, there are nine things that we're going to highlight fairly quickly, so hang in there with me. You can find this on our app or you can take a picture of it, whatever works for you. We start with that truth that we began with. We can't sanctify ourselves. Uh, That is not our work. We can't do it. I can't become holy on my own because I'm sinful. Now, this is the deal about sin. As it relates to humankind, my sin affects you. Your sin affects me. It is a disease, and it's highly contagious. And we have to be very careful. It's part of the reason that we have communion uh, weekly so that we can align back to the Scriptures and ask the Holy Spirit to deal with our own hearts if there's any unconfessed sin to address it. But the idea, though, that our sin is contagious, God's holiness is contagious. If you remember, there's this time where there's this woman who has this issue of blood. And she's gone to all kinds of healers, and these healers haven't done a thing for her. They haven't been able to help. And this has continued on, and she's an outcast, and she has to announce to people that she's unclean. And they have to clean up after her. They have to go through a complete ceremony whenever they're around her to be cleaned again. How would you like that? She sees Jesus and has this recollection that there's this story from the Old Testament that there's healing in his wings. And she reaches out to the hem of his garment. And just in faith, just quietly, she reaches out. Jesus doesn't become dirty. He doesn't become impure because of her sin. But she becomes purified because of his holiness. And it's that principle that hits us today that it's God's holiness that is contagious, that has been imputed onto us for his righteousness. It's not our works, it's his. We can't sanctify ourselves. That is Jesus' work. Two, remember and consider godly people. Who are those godly people who have had victories, who you look up to spiritually and go, man, one day, man, if I, if I could be that kind of faithful, if I could love my spouse like that, if I could love my kids like that, if I could speak that truth to people who are hurting, if I could walk alongside that, if I knew my scriptures like this, if I, who is that person? And let's remember and consider their work. And perhaps if they're still around, maybe you want to talk to them about discipleship. And hey, would you one-on-one meet with me? Could, could we be accountability? Could we pray together? Could we get into the Word together? Maybe that's the next step for you. But we remember them and consider godly people. Third point. And Jesus is the point. That's it. Jesus is the Why do we gather here? Because Jesus, right? 
He rose from the grave. He conquered sin and death. He gives life to anybody who would call on him. It's not about the music. It's not about the personalities that are up front or even the personalities that are out there. This is all about Jesus, that God's holiness has somehow come here. We get to taste it on a weekly basis together, corporate, united. What a beautiful thing that we get to experience. And it's all Jesus. And let's not get our eyes off of that. He's the same always. So don't be led astray by diverse and strange teachings. We're consistently going back to the scriptures first. Is that found here? Secondly, uh, did the church practice that? Has that been a regular practice of the church historically? Has that been, uh, has that been accepted by the church? Do godly people affirm that teaching? Has it been affirmed? And so we're not led astray. And by the way, the very things that I identified earlier with the issue of gifts and one gift being more important than others, the issue of, uh, oh man, I just lost the other one. What was it? What was the other one I said? What? Blab it and grab it. Thank you very much. The, the issue, uh, the issue of the, the name it, claim it movement, right? Like, those were all dealt with within the first couple hundred years of the church. They dealt with that. This is old news. Uh, we need to make sure that we're going back to the scriptures and church history to confirm that five. Go to Jesus. We have nothing else. We want the rest. Then we better want Jesus because they're, they're, not, they're not separated. They're together. They're united. If we want the rest... We have to have Jesus. But let me tell you, the rest is a fringe benefit of Jesus. Continuing on. And I, I love this one. I'm so glad that this is identified here. Praise God with your mouth. It should not be, it should not be new news when you're sitting around your table and you give praise to God. Our kids shouldn't go, huh, I never heard to do that before. That was weird. Uh, Kids, we shouldn't hear that from like the first time going, oh, I, I didn't ever know, son, that you cared about such things. That should be a regular part of our conversations. That it's not just what we know, and it's not just what we believe in our hearts, but it's also what we speak. In fact, Jesus says it this way, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so as we have praise on our lips, as we, uh, as we think through the things that we're thankful for, those are the things that we should be speaking, and it shouldn't be foreign to our friends and family around us. Do good and share. So it's not just our words, but it's also actions. Those actions are not to please God, but rather because of what God has done, because he loves us, because he went to the cross. Yeah, I can take this to my neighbor. Yes, I can endure a little bit of chastisement from others. I can, I can deal with someone rolling their eyes at my faith and love them at the same time. I can, I can do that because of what Jesus has done. This is a tough one. Obey leaders. There are three institutions we see clearly in the scriptures. Uh, we see government, we see the church, and we see family. Not necessarily in that order, but those three are uh, revealed throughout the scriptures as divine institutions given to us by God for specific reasons. It doesn't matter what time, and it doesn't matter who. Those three, whenever we're looking at leaders, there are always insufficiencies in and of themselves. We can mock them all day long, 
Super easy. But there is something that God has about obeying leaders, even leaders that are easy to mock, even leaders that uh, maybe don't have our best interests in mind, whether that's in the institution of government, church, or family. Somehow, God has this, uh, this ability to do something in us to help us to die to self and to live to him. That, that, that God is doing something in us that even when uh, someone is not caring for us the way that they should perhaps even, that God does and he meets us in those places. And then as a reminder to pray for our leaders, that this, it's hard. It's really easy to mock. It's really easy to complain. It's really easy to be sarcastic. Like That's, that's easy. We should pray. And this is our challenge. This is the challenge that I've had, and I want to extend to you. Would you consider praying for three times a day, specifically when you wake up sometime in the morning, sometime around lunch, and sometime in the evening? Would you consider praying three times a day from now until Easter and see what God will do during those times? Being thankful and lifting up leaders and, uh, and making sure that you're praising God. Watch and see what God will do. This has been a, a practice that I've recently started. Try to hit that rhythm of three times a day. By the way, that was something that the early church did practice. And they said, hey, this is a part of discipleship, is spending time with God. In fact, if you're, spending, if, if you're spending time in the Word and not spending time in prayer, then there's going to be a problem. They identified that very early, that we can be intellectuals without sp- being spiritual. And that's problematic. And they identified that here. As the worship team comes out, I, I, I want to um, remind us again of the two ordinances that I mentioned earlier. That baptism, that there is this beautiful picture of the weight of the guilt of sin being washed away and the newness of life in Christ as we rise up out of it. The picture is before us. And again, if you haven't done that, I want to encourage you to consider that for Easter uh, coming up. You can sign up online, or like I said, you can email me. But there is another ordinance that the church has practiced, and that's communion, the Lord's Supper. And you'll see four stations in this room, and we encourage you to come down the carpeted areas in just a few moments and go to the station that's closest to you, respectively, and get both the cup and the bread. But before you do that, we ask that you pause before the Lord and spend a moment and ask the Lord, is there any unconfessed sin or is there anything that I need to uh, have you address in my life, Lord? Is there, is there any sin that maybe even I've been blind to and living in? Lord, would you, would you forgive me of that? In the early church, uh, it's identified in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that they were living a little bit flippantly in the church. Yeah, I'm a Christian, but I also kind of have my life out here, and sometimes I sacrifice to idols because it's convenient and easy. And sometimes uh, I eat food that's been sacrificed to idols, and sometimes I parade around my own sin because Jesus dealt with it, so what's the big deal? And Paul says that there are people in that congregation in first, in, that's identified in 1 Corinthians 11 that are getting sick and they're dying 
because they're, they're entering into their relationship with God flippantly. And that's seen how they practice the Lord's Supper. And so we want to encourage you to pause before God. This is a serious matter. To say, is there any unconfessed sin? And then to confess it before the Lord and to repent if there's sin that needs to be repented of and to follow Christ in those places. You're welcome to go to those stations and grab both the bread and the cup. And after this next song, we'll come together and and we'll participate together. And in the meantime, join me as we pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you. Lord, we're amazed that you love us enough to sanctify us and set us apart for your work. That you love us enough that somehow you clean us up put us in the right path and you call us to you positionally and also progressively as we follow you. Lord, thank you for the cross and thank you for sins forgiven. Thank you, Lord, that you've given your life that we could have life. Lord, I do ask that you would forgive us of our sins, those that we've done knowingly and unknowingly, those that we've committed out of neglect and those that we've committed because of ignorance. Forgive us, O Lord, and help us to walk in the new life in you that we could have rest for our souls. In Jesus' name.